Podcasting, Podcasting from Ireland. Ireland. Three kids introduce with some of the biggest names in magic. Welcome to the Disney Reality Podcast with your hosts, with your hosts Dave Peace and Steve Spade. And we are live. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Disney Reality Podcast. We're delighted to be here with the amazing Jamie Raven. Jamie, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks pal. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, happy to have you here. And we always start all of these shows with a very stereotypical magician question of how well, did you get started in magic? So, yeah, no, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you the truth because I get asked this a lot and basically normally I make it up. So if you read, depending on what <laughs> article you read or what, what, what point of my career I've been, um, the truth of the matter is um, when I was a kid, um, I, I loved watching magic. I loved watching magicians and clowns and everything like that when we go to parties and whatnot. But I was always in the minority. I was never really interested in how it worked. I remember vividly like my friends would go and try and look in his box or her box or, you know, the, as it were, um, in the, uh, the their props and whatnot. And my mother always tells me that she was always worried that I was a bit dim because she thought I didn't really understand understand what was going on she was worried why i wasn't you know as excited as all the other kids is work out how it worked and i explained to her like at the time and i remember it vividly i was like I'm, i was just happy i was happy to watch it and enjoy it and i think it's you know as a performer as a magician in particular if that is genuinely how you feel you're blessed because it's really really important i think to remember that feeling you're trying to pass on to others when you're performing so when friends of mine show me tricks or I go and watch friends of mine perform, I, I choose not to try to work it out. Obviously, I'm not saying I could, but I, I could have a guess. You know, we, we've all got skill sets. We could all work it out. But I was um, yeah happy just to watch it. And then what happened was we used to go on holiday to Spain every summer. So my birthday is at the end of August. Uh, and so my parents thought it would be a good idea if we were on a holiday to a part of Spain where they didn't speak English. And so my brother and I learned how to speak Spanish when we were kids. Uh, and I had my first, I think it was 15 birthdays in Spain. So I was born in England when I was zero. And then one to 15, 16, uh, we were in Spain. And as a result, we met um, Spanish people and got immersed in sort of Spanish culture. And I don't know if you know, but Spanish playing cards are different from English playing cards. So the ones that I remember, they only had 10 cards in a suit and they were numbered one to 10. And they had oros, which are like gold coins. This is how I remember it. So I may be wrong. Someone will correct me, I'm sure. Um, yeah. There were swords, which I think was espadas. Um, Copas, which is like goblets, like wine goblets, and there was like clubs, like a baseball bat, like like an ogre sort of club. Um, and I remember um, a guy there, one of my dad's friends, showed us a trick. And a lot of people do it with twenty-one cards, where you deal it into three piles of seven, and you move it around this pile on that pile. Mine was uh, the one I learned with three piles of five, so it was fifteen. Um, and that was one trick that I learned. And then about three or four years later, so I reckon I was about 10, 11 at the time, I can't remember, we were on holiday in India um, with friends of my dad's, my family, and there was a magician in a restaurant doing some close-up. And what they did, they uh, offered to take me and my brother and the kids away and teach us some of the tricks. And then they'd sell the tricks for like a dollar each or whatever, um, which I thought was a really cool idea. And I'm, I'm looking back on it now, when I was working close-up a lot, and I've never seen anyone do it in this country. I've, never, I've seen a lot of magic here in America. Whatnot. No one's ever done that. Um, but yes, we demonstrated the tricks, and then he'd take us away, and we could buy them. So we basically got paid twice. We got paid to do the gig, then got paid to sell the stuff. Um, and I remember the three tricks. It was uh, the Indian rope tricks. So it was a, a rope that's you know all loose and floppy, and then you snap your fingers, and it stands up. Uh, there was an optical illusion one. It was two like crescents. One was green, one was like half moons, and whatever one you put to the left, so I don't have to do that, uh, always looked bigger. Um, and the third one was um, uh, just a generic card packet trick. So, yeah, I was about 13, 14, learned three tricks that night, and now I'm 37, and now I know four tricks. So, you know, I'm a slow learner, <laughs> but I'm getting there. Get there. Yeah. You added cartoon into us, and then you were just absolutely, like... <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Thank you, Dan Harlan. You know, funny story about that, actually. The, the, so the day after I did bring the tanks, I get asked this all the time about did I get permission for it and, and whatnot. And as with any sort of publicly released um, 
effect you don't you know some people say i reserve reserve rights for tv and whatnot and you can get into that argument if you want but um it was a published and i paid for the trick and you know i did it and anyway dan harlan the next day after it aired in the uk sent me a really lovely email um and it was amazing he was just saying oh thank you so much for showing it in you know to the world and you know up until that point i think well obviously i think that was probably the biggest exposure it ever got and then yeah. one o'clock four years later dan actually went on fallers penn and teller and did a different method um and he fooled them with the other method so it was brilliant so i'd like to i'd like to claim full credit for improving dan harland's work um, not at all it was masterpiece ready it's um yeah it's brilliant That's terrific. we actually had a question sent in uh about cartoon and something do you still perform cartoon after doing it on tv as people know the outcome so i hear a lot of people like colin cloud has talked about that he if he does something on tv it's kind of him killing it in his act because people know yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, for me, is, uh, magic, I, I find, is a little bit different um, as opposed to sort of hardcore, not hardcore mind reading, but like Colin's obviously a, a mind reader. And he's very, you know, if people see it on TV, yeah, he probably has to come up with a new thing. But magic is very much sort of like uh, going to hear your band play your favourite song. You, if, even if you know the outcome, you still want to see it and you want to hear it. And also, if people have seen it on TV, they want to see it live. And also, with cartoon, there's a different outcome every time. So it's like, yeah. the way I was doing it, and I, used to, I used to do it at the end of my tours, the... Um, uh like the end that like penultimate trip towards the end um and they'd throw out um a ball and someone would choose uh the, the suit the color the value and then someone else could overrule them if they wanted um so you always end up with a free choice and um i'm a patron of a number of charities now and i do it i still the, the only time i ever really do it anymore I, I don't i've done it on that tour so once i've done it on a tour then yeah it's sort of i might bring it back a few years later if i'm going to do another tour and the same people are coming back i've changed the material i'm doing but um i do it in hospitals with kids and then i make them the magician and then um they always get it right and then I play a game. There's a, actually a funny story. There's a, a routine, like a do as I do uh, routine that I do. Um, and I don't know whose idea it is originally, but the, the, the way that I perform it is I'll do it to a kid and I'll say, that we're going to play a card game. I'm, I'm warning now, I've never lost. I've never lost. I won't be beaten. You won't beat me. You're only here for me to kill five minutes and get some laughs because you're up here. But you, you won't win ever, ever. Um, and the routine is that they've got the cards. They shuffle them up and they choose half and I get what they don't want. And then we shuffle and deal with them. And then in the end, we deal four cards into four bars, turn them over, and I've got the four kings. So one, two, three, four. I said, it's amazing. You know, I've never lost. Look how good I am. Even though you gave me the cards, I could never possibly know. Uh, you'd never win. What have you got? And the kids dealt themselves four aces and they've won. And then the audience, you know, amazing. It's great for the kid. I remember doing it once at this show. This woman comes up to you afterwards and she goes, oh, great show. Loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. She goes, but just real shame about, you know, what happened in the first half. I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, you know, when you lost that trick for the first time, I said, what, to the kid? She's like, yeah, you know, you lost. I was like, yeah, to the kid. She's like, yeah. I was like, you, you, the, to the kid and she's like she's like yeah unlucky maybe she practiced a bit harder it won't happen again I was like, okay never mind you all right, all right. <laughs> um so yeah we, um, yeah always like all, all those sort of effects where it's like you know the magician versus the audience I always let the audience win because you're gonna you get the credit for it anyway do you know what i mean it's like you you're always gonna you've won so just like let someone else have their moment especially if it's a kid uh unless you're in barnsley or wherever it was sorry everyone I was just saying, I always say when I do wave, like close up, whenever I get it, I always say, that's the first time that's ever worked. And they're yeah, like, no, it's quite long. They're like, yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I, I, was, and we do, I do um, uh, like a Woody Arrogan love cards thing. So if you're not aware of it, it's absolutely brilliant. I think he did it with four playing cards. You take four cards, you rip them in half, you've got eight pieces, you put them together, you choose a secret piece, then it's she loves me, she loves me not, she loves me, she loves me. You throw some more, you end up with a piece and it matches the piece you sat on. Um, but I do it with a routine of, um, people that I get told that I look like and we have like a Jamie Raven lookalike contest um, and in the envelope I say there's four pictures 
um, have a look and they open up the envelope. I say, can you just confirm there's four pictures for me? And there's not, there's five because one's an advert for the merchandise we're selling. I'm like, how did that get in there? How silly of me. Oh, wow. Um, but then we do the trick and everyone holds them up at the end and I do the same thing. I was like, you've got a thousand people. And I go, do you know what? That has never worked before. I'm delighted you could see it in all its glory. And half the time they're like, wow, I can't believe it. It's such a good trick. I can't believe it's never worked before. I was like, okay, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I do it? <laughs> it's, a, it's just a great gag. I mean, I love. I mean, I really, really love jokes where sometimes I'm the only person in the room that gets it. They're really for me, like you say, a joke. It's like the Simpsons sort of humour. You make a joke, um, and obviously, Simpsons is is a cartoon in inverted commas. It's really written for the parents, and it's like I like to. I, I don't like when I do shows. Like I don't swear. I don't because we've got little kids coming. Do you know what I mean? But if you can make jokes that the kids don't get, but the parents get. I think they appreciate the fact you've taken the time to make the, you know, so they can enjoy it as well, rather than just being dragged along um, to see some magician with what looks like incredibly big hair. Now I can't wait for the hairdressers to open. <laughs> Almost as good as yours, Steve. Yeah, yeah. I, my girlfriend shaved the sides, but that was it. But it was. Oh, it was mate, I need that done. Oh, it was crazy last week. Um, <laughs> yeah, just with that, with the when when you were on Britain's Got Talent, um, there was that element of playing small, but then playing really big with small kind of props. And even yeah. the way you changed the um, the bank of Britain's Got Talent, I've been watching some of the the, the reruns there just recently, yeah. uh, so we could talk about it. And like even to have the, you know, and just changing a five to a ten, I mean everyone would be impressed, or ten to a fifty, or whatever. But the fact that you took time to change it into the kind of cartoon characters of them, and then it kind of led up to you using the cartoon deck, yeah. it was all very orchestrated that way, very clever. Yeah, thanks, mate. There was there was a lot of effort went into that. Um, so if, if people watch with um. What, what, the phrase I was always told is that you're only ever the tip of an iceberg in any subject. So you only ever know a little bit. And there's always so much more under the water that you're not aware of. So when I was working on it, I was working with um, a gentleman called Russ Stevens at the time. And we were talking about various different ideas that we could, you know, come up with. And we came up with loads of ideas. And then to his credit, it was his idea to do the cartoon. Because he'd worked with Jamie Allen, um, who was the first person who I, I believe had done it on like a camera on a screen on a cruise ship. And it's, I think Wayne Dobson, who said, if you make a mouse appear on television, it's the same as making an elephant appear in the theatre. As long as everybody can see it now, it doesn't matter what trick you do. Look at Shin Lim. He's taken over the world with a pack of playing cards. You know what I mean? So that, that's amazing. Now we've got screens and high-def cameras, which you never used to have before. So you, as long as you stage it properly and you make sure everyone can see everything, that's what it is. So when we decided we were going to do the cartoon thing, Russ just wanted to do the cartoon. And I said to him, I don't think it's enough. I think there's got to be, you've got to do more stuff. It can't just have one thing. Um, and for years, obviously working close up, I've done a pill switch for ages and I've done um, extreme burn, which are really super quick tricks, but they're amazing. And if you've got your sleeves rolled up, they're baffling. Um, so then um, a friend of mine, David Lewis, is a caricaturist. And I said to him, oh, could you do me a favor? I want to do, um, a, it's going to be about drawing. The whole routine's about drawing. You draw me really good pictures of the judges and then I'm going to deprecate myself. So I'll say, oh, this is my friend's drawn these. I'm also a really talented artist. And it's just cartoon, but I've just drawn four X's on the top, so it looks like Britain's Got Talent. So people email me, go, where'd you get that Britain's Got Talent version of cartoon? I was like, uh, a Sharpie, um, just draw the X's on the top. Um, but we, um, so then it was all about the drawings, and it was all about uh, coming up with a story. And then it was, oh, I, the line was, um, the uh, £50 note is the most valuable note in circulation. In the UK, it isn't. It's actually £100. You get them in Scotland and Jersey, but hardly anyone's ever seen them, so it makes no difference anyway. So I'll just say 50 um, I say, but there's one more that's more valuable. Um, it's this. And then you do the bill switch and everyone in the theatre could see it. It was like Dominion Theatre, two and a half thousand people on the biggest screen you've ever seen. It was like the whole back wall of the Dominion Theatre. Um, and everyone could see it and react. And then the thinking behind the drawings was was twofold. Number one, if you make them flattering to the judges, you'll get more airtime. 
because they're going to show the picture of the judge next to the Cartoon character. And also, I said to him, draw me in the middle. So when every time I showed the note, you saw me. I was there. Um, and then also, I thought to myself, if it does get down to me and one other magician who they're going to put through, if I've let them keep that note and they've given it to their kid, or, you know, it's called, you know, take home magic. Like if you bend a fork, let someone keep the fork. If you're going to bend a coin, give them the coin or take their coin, obviously, first if you can. Um, always do magic mm -hmm. with stuff that belongs to people or that you can then give them so they keep it. Like a number of times you do a card trick for someone, they'll, they'll put it in their wallet and you'll see them again years later and they'll go, oh, I still got this card. And it's like, amazing. I'll have that back. Thanks so much. Brilliant. We'll use that later. Um, so, yeah, it was it was it was thought out. Um, and then, yeah, so it started off as just cartoon and then it was moved on to the the reason why it was Bank of Britain's Got Talent to want to do the trick with the money. And then it was the thought of, oh, we'll do it with the drawings and then make out my friends are really cool artists, which he is. Uh, I'm not. But that's <laughs> the gag. Um, yeah, that was where it come to. Thanks for noticing. Appreciate it. Yeah, I was always wondering really where cool. the drawings came from. <laughs> I was like, who? Because who, they're very good, like. Uh, yeah, so he's a he's a professional artist. He's a caricaturist, um, and he does. Mate, he's amazing. His name's David Lewis, um, and I've known him. I, I grew like worked with him on the scene, so the corporate scene. So like sometimes they put magicians, close-up magicians, and caricaturists or silhouette cutters or whatever. Um, and he's amazing, as are a lot of the guys who do it. Um, but he was, um, and Steve's going to disappear. There we go, yeah. brilliant. Um, yeah. And uh, so I sent him an email and said, "Oh, dude, could you help me out? I need this. I, basically, I want a banknote, a fifty-pound note, banknote for Britain's Got Talent, but with the judges." Um, and then when I did the final, um, I said to him, I need another one. Just you need to change the 50 to 250,000. That was the prize in the final. Uh, I didn't win it, so I wouldn't know. But um, <laughs> it was um, just got over that. Thanks for bringing it up. Um, it was only five years ago. Too soon, too soon. <laughs> um, but yeah, he drew them. It was amazing. Yeah. So um, it was great. And also, like, since then, been able to sell them. Like, they're, they're sort of for chat. If people want stuff for charities and stuff, we give them away and wrap them off. And then also sell them and raise money. And then um, it's merchandise at the shows. People can come and sign them. In, and they're timeless. So they're, you know, if anyone ever wants one when we come to shows, they sometimes they watch the, the YouTube things before the videos, um, and then they want one, which is great, and then we use them to sell them, raise money for charities. So it's cool. Yeah, that's definitely. It's cool having like a little. It's like built-in merch for yourself. Yeah, basically. well, it was that, and and the stickman since then. So the stickman has become like my little logo, and uh, I we you know we sell pin badges, and um, he's on he's on a lot of stuff. I'm just trying to think of what's going on. No. Um, but yeah, it was funny how things work out. Like it was never that plan. It was never intended that way. Um, but it just sort of happened. Um, so yeah, and, and Steve's back. <laughs> the wonders of wow. internet connection. <laughs> Absolutely. When, when you were coming up for the Britain's Got Talent, a lot of people get contacted to see if they want to go on it, and others just go on it themselves. How did that whole thing come about for you? Yeah, so I was. Uh, they contacted me every year to go on it. Um, uh, year one, I said no thanks because I didn't know what it was. Um, then I watched it and then realised that magic wasn't really given. A fair shake um basically just you went on there to basically blow your career up because they just they i didn't think it was fair at all um and then what i think happened was well a couple of things happened by the time i did it was series nine but in america it was series 10 so if everyone know what's going to do well on britain's got talent this year just see what did well on america's got talent six months before because america's got talent was commissioned first and the year i did it matt franco won america's got talent magician he's the first magician to win america or the uk um so i thought uh, well, maybe I was thinking, but um, but then yeah, uh, a gentleman called Russ Stevens, who so my friend James Moore uh, got to the semi-finals uh, three years, uh, two years before me, sorry, and then Darcy Oak got to the final the year before me, and he was the first magician to get to the final, um, yeah. and he came, I think he came fourth or fifth or something like that. Um, but I think by that point, Britain's Got Talent, the people had realised that you know a singer can't win every year or a dancer. Um, 
So they they need to have variety. Um, you need to have to call it a variety show. And because people say to me all the time, well, Britain's Got Talent. You know, they shouldn't have singers. The singers should go on the X Factor. And the fact is, without singers, there is no Britain's Got Talent because most of the acts they have to be singers. That's why Britain's Got Talent is only an audition, a semi, and a final. Whereas the X Factor is like you know ten weeks because there's not enough variety. There's just fewer variety acts. So they have to have them. And then like, I think the, when I did the final, I think my year, there was maybe, if there was 60 acts in the final, I think maybe 48 were singers or dancers, something like that, um, which isn't uncommon, but that that's to give an example why there has to be singers in Britain's Got Talent. Um, but yeah, so Russ contacted me and said, would you be interested in doing it? I said, no. Um, and then he said, oh, why don't we meet up? I was like, yeah, right. Why not? And then I remember it was like, it was about the October um, the year before 2014 um, decided to do it. And he phoned me and I was just like, yeah, let's do it. And I didn't tell anyone. But that was it. And then um, just we sat down and worked out a load of ideas and we come up with about 10 or 15 things we could do for the audition, then the semi-final, then the final. Um, and then basically plump for what we did in the end. Yeah, here we are. Very good. Because I think when you came on, it was a good time because magic had been at the beginning. I remember watching it and every time a magician stepped on stage, it was like, oh, God, don't. It's like it's going to hurt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you just felt bad for people because they're going yeah. on to do their best. And it was just it just it wasn't. I just didn't think it was fair at all. Um, and that's why I didn't do it because I, I didn't think that you'd have the, you're being judged by people that aren't really qualified to judge you as a magician. Obviously they know entertainment and they know what that Simon Cowell, you know, you can't argue with the man, whatever you think of him is the most, in, in terms of music and entertainment television is the most successful person. One of the most successful people ever. Um, yeah. David Williams, immensely successful comedian comic. You've got, um, Alicia, who's done a million things, Amanda, obviously people know, if people know who, what your name is, no matter what you do and whatever you think of that person, they're a success and their yeah. opinion is to be valued. Um, so whereas they don't know the technicality of like what you're doing as a magician, they know if they like you or not. They know if they like what they saw and they know if it fooled them. And that's basically what you've got to do. And I think a lot of the time when people go on Britain's Got Talent, what they need to remember um, is that now it's 15 years old, 14 years old, I can't remember exactly. Um, you have to think, how much magic have they seen over this time, right? So you have to be somewhat original. So you have to do your research. You can't just go on and do, certainly you couldn't go and do card two now because I've done it, but you can't just go on and do an Omni deck and a, you know, yeah. ring flight. Because I promise you, they've seen it a thousand times. And also you've got to have a look and see what Simon Cowell's seen in America as well, because it's, that's what I did. And then, you know, it's very difficult to be entirely original anything, but you have to be as original as you can because they're interested in the next someone. Then, Sorry, in you. They're not interested in you being the next Jamie Raven or the next Darcy Oak or whoever it is. They've yeah. had them. And also, you'll only ever be second best. You won't be a better me than me, no matter how hard you try. Do you know what I mean? As I won't be you. So it's just like... You Challenge know, accepted. Do it. Do it. I'll be uh, Jamie Crow and just... Have it. It's yours. It's yours. And I'll be, are, Dave, I'll be David War. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> there was a, um, I, I find recently, if anything, there's more magicians than any other act, even singers at times at the moment. And yeah, well, I, so I still keep in contact with um, the people on the show and um, my lawyer who I got, um, they give you, so when you do the show, they very kind, they provide you with a lawyer. Hello, mate. And um, a psychiatrist to talk to if you want. Because obviously they know it's a massive shock to some, you know, if you're going from like a life of normality in the sense of like, let's say you, you were working in um, a phone shop and then you've got a really great voice and now all of a sudden the whole world knows who you are and you're harassed and bombarded with stuff. It, it can be difficult. Um, so they, they, very, they have a duty of care towards you, which they take very seriously. Um, 
and yeah, so my so the lawyer who they very kindly sort you out with, I'm still with friends now, and I've done stuff for her family and whatnot, and she helps me, and you know, it's it's been amazing. But yeah, she, she keeps me informed. She was saying like the year after I did it, they had more magicians than it, magicians weren't the bottom of the list, like in terms of numbers, which was like the first time it ever happened because normally they had to go out and find them and drag them in, yes. and uh, they were all asked one question. They were or they were asked all their questions, and the most common answer they gave they were like, "Why are you here?" And they're like, well, "We want to. We, we see Jamie do it, and we want to do it because I knew most of them, but it was brilliant. It was like basically all my mates going to do it. <laughs> so that was cool. Um, and then yeah, since then obviously it's done super super well. So it's like before I did it, um, Darcy got to the final, James Moore got to the semi final. And I think um, David Penn was the first magician to get to the semi-final. I think he was a double act. I believe her name was Karen. Um, and that was, I think, a year before James or maybe two years before. Um, so if you think about that, like the year I did it in 2015, including me and Darcy, two of us have been got in the final. Um, and then you look at the final like last year or whatever, and there was like seven magicians. There was more magicians in the final last year than got into it, like into like the competition, like the year yeah. I did it. So that was cool. Um, so yeah, to play a part in that and, you know, to be have played a part in making magic, you know, cool to mainstream and, and especially on that show. Yeah, it's cool, man. Yeah. Because as you were saying a minute ago, the originality is so important now as well because yeah. people are going to be, there are seven magicians on the show. You can't, everyone can't do a prediction effect or something. Well, exactly. And if you, if, you, if, you, if you know about magic, obviously we know there's there are only so many plots and premises. So it's like, you know, if you look at music, there are so many notes. There's 14 notes in a scale. Okay. It's how you play those and how you how you sing. Or, or, or it's the story you tell with them. The same with magic. It might, doesn't matter. A card trick's a card trick, right? I'm going to ask you to choose one. I'm going to find it somehow. That's the game. Um, how am I going to do that? Well, here's the story I'm going to tell you, and this is my story. And dot 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 dot. dot. And that's where we all because it's like if you show me an ambitious card routine, um, and then I show you one, and someone else shows you one, they'll all be different. Um, and that's that's important to remember. Like, don't just go on and say what other people have said just because it. I mean, I remember so. The, in the final, I did this Bill and Lemon thing, right? And it started off, I was going to do another trick entirely, but in the semi-final, I accidentally called Alicia Dixon Sir. Like, because in my head, I was so far ahead. Like, if you ever watched that, it was so complicated what I had going on because I had yeah. these fish to produce. I had this block of ice. won't tell you where, but it was melting. Um, I had this shoe thing I was doing with, with an extra shoe. And then I was worried about this helicopter thing. Um, so I'm doing this. And in my head, I'm, I'm like, like, Sometimes you're one head. In that particular scene, I was three ahead of what was going on. So in my head, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. And the next question after her was to Simon. So the answer was, yes, please, sir, or yes, whatever. And she said something. And my brain just skipped forward. She just went, yes, sir. And she went, sir. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry about that. So in the <laughs> final, I thought, oh, I'll address that. And then that's where, so like the Bill and Lemon thing, I just decided to do that morning because I'd done it for years and I knew I could do it and it was easy. And also I could call back to the, the, the cartoon thing. And I thought it would be cool to do a hot shot cut live in front of 15 million people, see if I really, you know, had any balls or not and then I decided to do it like on the spot and I was like man well, that's worked um but um that routine came about because I made a mistake in the semi-final and then I thought well we'll address it I'll give her a present and then I watched the next year and the next year and the next year and it all starts with I've got a gift for you I've got a gift for you I've got a gift for you and I was like that's cool but it's like it's not it's not it's not you know they, they only saw it like three months ago mate do you know what I mean give it a chance but hey, it's what yeah. it is they say imitation is the highest form of flattery so you know Based off the show, then you ended up probably doing like all the morning shows and that sort of stuff, promoting Britain's Got Talent, then tours afterwards. And uh, yeah. with a question from Shane coming in, do you have any advice for combating nerves when on live TV? Yeah, yeah. So, nice cut and stuff is yeah. So, so live TV is um, it's thrilling, um, but also 
if you're not prepared for it or you, you go into it blindly, it can be uh, a killer. So a couple of things. Number one, whatever whatever you're going to do and whatever you're going to talk about, make sure you know your subject. So like, make sure you don't need to read a script. If you're going to go and talk about yourself, that's fine. You talk about yourself. If you've got a tour to promote, make sure you remember to say where people can buy tickets. I've done this before. You go on like mainstream TV and you're promoting a tour and you forget to say the name of the tour or where it's going. So as many times as you can, say the name of whatever it is you're promoting. Now, they will tell you that you can't say it beforehand, but when it's live, they can't stop you. So obviously don't take the piss because they won't have you back. But if you say to you, oh, you've got a tour coming up and you go, yeah, it's um, the illusionist tickets at illusionist.com, blah, blah, blah. You know, just throw it in. They can't stop you. Right? Number two, when you're doing tricks, make sure it's nothing too slight heavy because you're, well, unless you're super, super confident. You watch people do it all the time. They're shaking all over the place, which is fine. They're only shaking because it's not something they've done regularly. So you've got to be comfortable. Something you've done a million times or something that you know or you've rehearsed a million times also remember this everything everything is filmed and played back now so if you're going to do a trip with a duplicate where you sign a card in advance and then there's another one you've signed it don't because someone will split someone will pause it and they'll, they'll expose it and just know as well whatever you do there is people out there who are going to expose it everything now it might be another magician it might not be it might be to remember the public most of the time they're wrong some of the time they're right but you have to nowadays just go into it knowing that lots and lots of people will say lots and lots of lovely things, but there are also going to be lots and lots of people that don't say so lovely things. And it's nothing personal. It's just, that's, you know, that's just the way the world is right now. So in terms of combating nerves, I'd say do what the material that you're comfortable with, that you're, you could do with your eyes shut. Um, I always choose to do things that aren't particularly slight heavy, unless it's something I've done a billion times. I could build switch, I can do in my sleep or, you know, if I, one of the routines I do all the time, but if I've written something specifically for a live spot on a show, it will be something that doesn't require too much. But that's just me because I prefer to concentrate on the pattern of it. Um, when you're going through the tricks in advance with the production people, you need to find out where the cameras are and what they're using so you can talk them through. So if I'm going to do a bill switch, don't have a camera behind me because obviously I don't need to see what's actually happening. But they, but they want it to be a success. So the presenters will always play along. They're always great sports. They'll always be amazing. Um, but you just have to talk. So you always have a little rehearsal for a couple of minutes, but you just have to have a very clear picture in your mind of what it is you want to do, be comfortable in doing it and be able to explain to the director and the producers there and say, right, this is the trick. This is what's going to happen. And what I always find is best is don't tell, if you're going to do an interview with a presenter, for example, don't let them in on the conversation because you want their reaction to be genuine. People can't lie, right? Human beings do not lie well. So when you show someone a trick and they react, they will never react like that again. So if they see it in rehearsal, they're not going to. So what you do, you don't even need them there. Get someone else in and you do the trick and you say to the camera, this is where that's going to be. That's where that's going to be. You do that. But um, it's the same as a show, but it's just like being prepared, know your subject and then um, do what you're comfortable doing. Because remember, all magic is impressive. All magic is impressive. You don't have to do, you know, you don't have to solve a Rubik's Cube with one hand, you know, standing on your tiptoes. You know what I mean? You, there are other ways. We're, we're magicians. We, you know, we're, we're smarter with our methods. So I'd, um, that's what I'd say. Take the pressure off yourself by as much as you can. That, that's a great tip there at the end, Jimmy, just um, getting someone to stand in for the presenter because, like you said, you only get that real reaction, that visceral reaction once. Yeah. Well, I've got, I mean, just before I come on the phone to you, I've got, um, I had a meeting today about um, a pitch for a TV thing. And um, I, I always get, also, whenever you do any TV or any projects where it's filmed, ask the people for the footage so you can get it and stick it in a showreel afterwards. And I'm just looking through all these clips now of like the reactions and every single one is the first time these people have seen the trick. And some of them are amazing because just magic's amazing. Magic is amazing. So when you show people this stuff and they're like, 
you know, they, they say stuff and it's like, also what's cool is what you can do as well. If you ever get any reactions or like any celebrities or whatever, film it. When you put it in your show reel, put the occasional beep in, even if they don't swear, just put a beep in somewhere because it sounds like they've gone, what the beep? And it's like, they haven't sworn at all. Um, but it just adds a little bit, adds a little, adds a little bit to it. But yeah, it's, um, if you like, and, and also when it, when you go and do these things, always ask someone in the background to take a photo of you while you're doing it, but with the camera. So like, let's say, imagine you're just at the back of the room and it's just like, you've got a, a photographer with you. You haven't just ask one of the runners or someone, just take a photo so that you've got, you, you'll get the screen grabs of what's ever on the screen. But it's always nice. I think to have the pictures of the cameras facing you and the team of people and you're there and you can see it. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's something I didn't do for a little while and then I learned to do it. So um, yeah, that's what I'd recommend. Great advice. Yeah. Definitely. That's good. I really like that. I remember I even got a, I was getting a promo reel done before and they had a big TV camera for shooting us because of the people I heard. And I made yeah. sure I got a shot of like through the camera of me. Yeah, standing absolutely. There. It's just me in front of a green screen. It could be a TV show. Nobody knows where that was. Of course, of course. And also for people, if you are going to go out and film stuff, um, you want like reactions to be genuine. It's really difficult to like stop people on the street because if you say to like psychologically, I remember I was doing a lot of exhibitions and trade shows way back when. And if you just stop people and go, "Oh hi, I work for whoever company it is," but you know, blah blah blah, this that and the other. Can I show you a trick based on you know whatever? And it's like they're the top of their competition. They always rise to the top, and and that, that's cool. That themed magic for those things it does have a place, and people who do it are great. My attitude is always, well, think about this, like the psychology of this, right? You've got these exhibitions. People are walking around. They're bored. Um, so the last thing they want is someone to come and, you know, sell them something they don't want to buy anyway. So I always used to say to people, hey, guys, sorry to interrupt you. My name is Jamie. Um, I have nothing to do with this industry. Uh, I'm actually a magician for my sins and I'm bored, senseless. Um, can I show you a trick? And they go, yeah, all right. And then they say, what do you do? And I, my job is to stop them and get them in the thing. I say, oh, no, no, the guy's here. Um, they just ask me to entertain people while they're walking around. Um, and then they will say, well, what do they do? And you sort of, you've engineered the conversation backwards. So you then got them to ask you about it. And I'm like, well, I don't really know. Um, so come on, someone on there will tell you. Um, and then we'd always engineer it so that they'd pretend to be busy. So then I'd show them another <laughs> trick. Um, and then they'd be like, oh, hi. And they just talked to like one of their own, you know, t team. Um, and then that was it. So along that thinking, when filming like promo reels and stuff, if you go into a bar or if you go into like, if you're filming it outside somewhere, and you try and stop people on the street and go, hi, I'm a magician. Can I show you a trick? They're not interested. They don't know who you are, right? But if you set up the camera and the camera's filming you and all you do, get some flash paper and just burn it and let it off or get a reel and put a leaf on the end of it and just suck the leaf back into your hand. When people start looking and they look over and they go, hey, guys, do you want to see a trick? Because they, they've committed first. They've given yeah. you the interest. Then yeah. you say, oh, we're filming a, a magic special for a TV thing. We'll have to ask you to sign a, a form later. Um, but you, you won't be on it if you don't want to. Um, there's no TV thing happening, but you're just, you're just interesting them. So then they're like, oh, yeah, cool, cool. When's it going to wear? Oh, it's, you know, Netflix. So, you know, sometimes. Um, but yeah, but then it's like the reverse psychology of getting them interested. So if you do want people to help with something, just stand there with your mates and film some stuff. Don't even do anything. Just like have the camera. And it's like, yeah, we'll check the light. Because well, people are interested. People are interested in cameras and ambulances. And a lot of us don't have ambulances. So, you know. That would be my best advice, actually. Get an ambulance. <laughs> I 100% agree with that. I did a coin and bottle, just like a full bottle of water, coin on the edge, rubbing it in. And yeah. I did that once to the camera, and I had a group of people around me. And I found out afterwards that 
I tried doing it again. A boom mic, a boom mic is the best. Magnetic. Like, it's people come to it. it, even if even if it's not really, just get us like a sweeping brush and shove something furry. Absolutely, on yeah, yeah. Just, just stick there. a feather duster on the end of it. Like, people, yeah. people are fascinated by it. I mean, because we did like when we when we did film um, some stuff like legit, we, like we didn't want any help from people. They were coming over, going, "Oh, can we be in it?" It's like, "Oh, thanks very much. We don't need you today, but I will do some stuff for you afterwards." Uh, but right now, we don't need it. Um, and then the days you do want it, um, if you just stand there and, and go up to people and go, "Hi guys, I'll show you a trick," they'll be like, "Go away, you weirdo." Um, but if you just stand there, like you said, with a boom mic and a camera, it's like a moss to a flame. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> People come running towards you. Uh, when you were performing, getting like the promo stuff, uh, events close up and things like that, did you yeah. have any like secrets of getting good photos or footage from actual events of you performing? Yeah. So, so there's a couple of tricks you can do, right? Oh, if you're going to pay, go to the trouble of paying a videographer to follow you around an event. What, you, what I always used to do, like it, footage and show reels, is the most valuable currency you can have as a magician. Other than going to physically meet people and show them what you do in person, which I, I always used to do, like if it was in London. Um, but show reels amazing because for for one minute, the tricks are irrelevant. Because I, I think a lot of people go to the trouble of filming like routines and whatnot. whatnot. A lot of people who are booking you for events, they just want to see what you can do to their guests. And if they're smiling and laughing and happy, that's what they want. Yeah. So first things first, if you're going to go to the trouble of getting a videographer, if you next time you get booked for a gig, a close-up gig, if you say, oh, I've got a videographer following me, we're making a, a, a promo for a TV thing, because um, you've got to ask for their permission first. And then you say, um, uh, it won't, the videographer is going to come, he's going to film me doing tricks, everybody. Um, is that okay? And we'll give you the footage afterwards. So you can have like a record of like the magic done at your event, which they're probably happy with. Take three suits or four suits, do half an hour, get changed, do another half hour, get changed, then move into another room, get changed, take people into another room, get changed again. <laughs> so it looks like you've been filmed like four different things. Like it looks like you've been at four different events when you haven't, you've only been at the one. Um, there were always certain things like with photographers, like certain tricks got better reactions. So like if you ever do a card in the mouth, so I'd always say to photographers, when I, when I, I'm going to kick you in the foot, right? You'll be with me in the photos. When I kick you, I look at you, I wink at you. I'm going to put my cards down. The, the card's going to go in. You're going to see me put the card in my mouth. It's when that person looks up, that's when you get the shot, right? So they, they look up and they don't see it. There are certain other things, um, other tricks you could do. Um, uh, one that was always great, firm favourite of mine, was uh, a ding dong by Al Goshman. Do you know what that is? Do I have to explain what that is? Yeah, I think. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's <laughs> yes. So what you do is you say to the photographer, "I'm going to do this trick," and I used to do it all the time to people, but I didn't want photos of it on my website. I say basically what you do: the shot, you're going to do it, but you're not going to get their hand in the shot because when they open their hand and they see it, that's the money shot. Excuse the delicious pun. Um, do that. Because the other, the other thing that, that a mate of mine used to do is, um, I, I'm not going to say who it is, but <laughs> if you want good reactions for photos, you'd like whisper um, in someone's ear and you just, you just say the most obscene thing. Now, I'm not saying to do this, right? I never did this. But if you really want a good reaction to a photo, you say to someone in their ear, you walk up to them and you just, you just say something uh, horribly offensive and then they go and it's like bang but that's um, I'd say that's definitely a distant third on the list I'd say basically yeah, <laughs> there's certain, there are certain tricks that you do that you know always get good reactions so it's like yeah. close up for me like the, the best ones are always um, extreme burn like in terms of like reactions like the shock factor of um, when people look up from the card in the mouth and then um, yeah the um, 
Al Goshman's greatest work. That was always a belter um, because people would, because I used to steal people's watches while I did that as well. So you you take that and you do the whole thing and they get the, they, you get the reaction. Then you get the reaction of them getting their watch back. If you take someone's watch, it's, it's, it's really cool, especially when people say, people will say all the time, they go, oh, can you do that one where you steal someone's watch? And I go, not now. Obviously not now. Now you've told everyone, but that's exactly when I'm going to go for it because now they think it's over. They think they've relaxed. So like a mate of mine, Keith the Thief, was telling me, when you go and take someone's watch, I only used to take like leather strap watches of very elderly people because they wouldn't notice they were coming off. But every now and then um, you get caught. And what happens is I just say everyone and I'd hold their wrist. I go, I just point out I was trying to steal his watch or her watch and everyone laughs. And then you immediately go for it again because I think it's over. So now I'm going to now I am going to get it. I, I won't get caught twice. You take it off. And then at the end, you do whatever routine you do and you go, bang, bang, there's your watch. Um, then they you put their watch back on them. And if it's a leather strap one, what you do is you put it back on, but you don't put the pin in. You just literally, you just put the strap back inside the little like belt buckle bit of the watch. And then later on, you literally just slide it off them again. I mean, I was working um, with Etienne Pradier, legend. I remember he did it on John Cleese. He stole his watch three or four times, like in the space of like five minutes. And then John <laughs> Cleese gave this really good quote. Then it was something like, you're beginning to annoy me or something like that. After oh, he stole his watch the fifth time, but. Etienne's a master at it, and it's like you can do it with anything. Because like, Etienne will do it with like a coin and a bit of paper and a pen, and he'll go right. I'm going to take the coin with this, and just, just uttering utter nonsense. And like it works for him because he's he's super smart, but he plays sometimes his character of like a bumbling French idiot, which he's not at all. He's one of the sharpest tools you'll ever meet, but he can get away with it because of that. He like he does this thing with um, a fork, and he goes, "Oh, have you seen Yuri Geller uh, bend the spoon?" And they go, "Yeah." He goes, "So I call this bending the knife." And it's a fork, right? And they go, that's not a knife, that's a fork. He goes, yeah, I know, but I'm French. If I say that, it sounds like I'm swearing in it. And it's like, he's just brilliant. <laughs> he's just brilliant. Yeah, and so I have to thank him because Etienne, Etienne's the reason. So I did a party um, for Prince Charles at St. James's Palace. And that ca- that comes through Etienne because Etienne, um, many years ago, got close with uh, one of the, the gentlemen that organises all the events, right, the royal family. Um, so Etienne's the one. If you ever see people posting photos performing for Prince Charles in particular, or the Royal, it's usually Etienne's hooked them up. Um, so yeah, big he's my my man. Big thank Etienne. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's the, those are the sort of photos you want. There's some great tips. That's the real like sleight of hand and magic. It's like getting how to get the perfect shots coming in from people. Yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is, and and it's 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 just a numbers game because if you do it. it I mean, ideally, if you're doing a table of 10, you want 10 people, you know, losing their shit and going crazy. But the odds of you getting 10 people laughing at the same time, all with their eyes open and someone not eating is always difficult. But that's why I I say to the waiters as well, not waiters, sorry, the photographers, when you're doing the photos, take some of the group as a whole, but also just take the reactions of people and always make sure you're in the photo. So if he's doing if if you're going to do a trick for two people, make sure you stand in the middle of them. So, and that's the other thing. If you're going to do a trick for like famous people and there's two of them at a table, stand in the middle of them because then you, you, you don't even have to include them. Then even you can do a trick on some of the other side of the table. But if you stand in between them, remember, you don't need to look at them. You know, they, they need, you need to look at the camera because if I'm looking at someone to my right, it's not a great photo. If I'm looking forward, it is a great photo because the most important thing is you look good and then everyone else looks good. Um, but they're just things you learn, you know, like by doing it. It's like if I do a fork bend, I always do it in front of someone's face. That's another one, actually, a fork bend. When it like when the prongs go, if you say to the photographer, I'm going to be doing this in front of their face and I'm going to get them to look at the camera. And when you do it, you get the reaction of you see the fork and you see them go and they're reacting. Or if I'm going to, they're going to, I'd bend it, pre bend it, and then they'd rub it and I'd 
you know, did move, I slowly open my hand. It looks like it's bending up. But I get them to point down the lens of the camera. So they're pointing at the camera. And as they're doing it, you've got them and the fork and their face in the shot. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it is an art. Um, and yeah, when you, you know, just by doing a couple of things, you just, you're improving your chances because there's like the number of times I've get photos from photographers and they're all rubbish in the sense of like, they're good photos, but I can't use any of them because I've got my eyes shut or I'm not looking or whatever. Other thing as well, yeah. remember, remember it is someone's craft. So if it's a photographer or a videographer, when you see them at the gig, if you say, hi, I'm Jamie or whoever, um, I'm the magician. Um, if you want, um, it they always gets great reactions because they want good photos and you're going to help them get good photos and good video. Uh, and you say, right, these are certain tricks that I'm going to do that you just talk to them for five minutes about what you're going to do. You don't explain any methods or anything, but you just explain the tricks and where it's best for them to, to shoot it from. And then you say, do you have a card? Because what I'd, I'll buy, if you have any photos of me with permission of whoever's booked them, um, I'd love to buy them off you. Uh, and then nine times out of 10, they'll say, no, it's all right. I'll just send you them because I've already been paid. Sometimes they'll say, yeah, it's like 10 quid a photo or something. But if they're good photos, they're worth it. Yeah, yeah. They're worth it. They're worth hundreds of pounds each because you can't, you can't buy them. Like you, you need someone to capture that moment. And it is, remember as well, it's their job. So it's like, don't, don't be emailing them 25 times going, can I have the photos, can I have the photos? Offer them first because nine times out of 10, they'll give them to you for free. And then they might say to you one day, well, I'll give you the photos. Can you come and do something for me? And you're like, well, yeah, fair's fair. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, or you can say, no, do what you want. It's like, if you want the photos, they're good photos and photos and videos, mate. They're invaluable. They're it's gold. Definitely, it's definitely where the industry works. You know what I mean? It's kind of it is very much. You know, you remind back. I'll rub yours kind of thing, especially with that kind of thing. If you're in the corporate sector and you're meeting the same photographers, yeah. videographers, and remember, you're, you're working in the same room as they are. So that means they're <laughs> going to go to a gig one day and they're going to be asked for a magician. Because the other thing you can say to the people, which I always did, is say, "Have you got a card?" Because I get asked all the time um, for photographers, and if I'm, you know, if if you're free and you'd like it, I can pass them your way. And they're like, yeah, because if you're, you're, you know, sometimes I think people think we're just, we're just magicians. So we just, you know, we only give work to other magicians, but it's not the case. You know, there's caterers and there's photographers and videographers and uh, florists and uh, table dressers and themers and whatnot. I don't even know if themers is a word, but people who, <laughs> people who put props in rooms and that. Especially if, if, if you've got a photographer that you know that you've done a few gigs with and they always get good shots of you. It's, yeah, all, and then, it's beneficial it, to you to recommend them for your next gig because they'll get more good shots of you. Exactly. Yeah. And you can say to the people, um, this is the ph photographer um, and this is the sort of, this is his work like when we did the gig before. Cause then, and then also remember you can then start making money on it because a lot of people, when they get inquiries, they just say, um, Oh, we need a magician for this party. And they go, yeah, it's a couple of hours. I charge X amount of money. And it's like, what you should be saying is, um, have you ever booked anyone, any magicians before? Can I ask what entertainment you've had previously? Cause when they say, Oh, we had uh, Ed Sheeran last year, you know, they've got money. So you can start asking, you know, don't be shy. Um, and also if they say, yeah, we're how many guests are there? And they go, oh, we've got a thousand guests. And they think, oh, well, one magician will do. And then you explain that, well, actually in a couple of hours, I can probably get around. Well, I was lazy. So like three people, but you know, most good ones can get around like 50, 100. Um, and then if they, if you say to them, look, we can get you look, like normally it'll be like, I'll make this up now. Let's say I'd normally charge like 750 pounds or whatever. Um, I'll get if you need like there's a thousand people so you need ten but I can get you a discount and I can get them all for like five hundred each and then you pay each of them three fifty um, and then you know and then you can say well have you got have you thought about any other entertainment because you can also have like caricaturists and and whatnot and then you can start like a little agency empire that's what that's what uh, we did me and my friend Paul yes yeah it's great advice I remember I got booked for an hour and I showed up to the gig early on before I asked any questions and there was twenty three tables. 
Yeah, you, you have to you have to you have to set people's. This is the thing as well. People are only disappointed when they feel they've been shortchanged, right? And they feel they've been shortchanged if whatever they pay for, whatever it is, if it's if it's rubbish, um, and also if it doesn't do what they thought it was going to do. So if someone books you for an hour, I mean, I've had it before. I like when there's like a guy called me and said, "Oh, can you come and do like three hours?" I was like, "Yeah, of course." How many people are there? And he goes, "Oh, there's seven. And it was like, "Well, that's not going to work." So what will be better is if we do like I don't know half an hour 45 minutes of like a show and then i'll do it and everyone watches it together and then if you want we could do like a workshop or something and you know we can you know i could maybe teach you some bits or you know whatever um because obviously if you turn up for three hours and there's seven people there close up it ain't happening i mean i don't care who you are i mean jay sankey and michael amar would struggle do you know what i mean and they both do a thousand <laughs> tricks with a lighter do you know what i mean I do not. Um, and on the same side, yeah, it's like when you get if you get booked for a thousand people and there's a hundred tables. I don't know about you guys, but I would. I'd like to, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect a magician to do ten tables during the course of a meal. Like you can spend like decent time. Like I know friends of mine had. Um, so we had different theories. Like I'd go. I'd spend like I'd do five or six or seven minutes at each one. So I'd do three or four tricks at a table. Because I like to go, say hello, do the whole lot, and then bounce table, 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 table. And then other friends of mine would literally get up and they do a trick and they do ten tables once. Then they go back and do their second trick. Then they go back and do their third trick. And it's whatever, whatever works for you. Um, but we can all walk around with a fire wallet and claim we've done a thousand tables. You know, we just walk around the room. But in reality, you know, if you you know, clients spending money or whatever, um, they expect you know they they have a. An, an expectation and you it's your job to set that correctly they might be right they might be wrong and if they're wrong you've got to set them in advance and let them know um yeah piece of advice there it's, it's, always, good. it's always good as well to do a trick that you leave something at the table so you know that if you glance past you know you've done that table like pressure for example you know you, you the phone and the balloon so now there's a burst yeah. balloon on the table so when you walk past you're like okay i've been there move on yeah, yeah. Otherwise, or, you or, or you could just give them give them your business cards at the end and they'll just throw them on the floor and then you know the floor the cards by the <laughs> table on the floor they, they, they always, yeah because i always i always um used to draw little diagrams of rooms because i like sometimes they've got table numbers on them and if there was like you know if there's a thousand tables and there's 10 of you there it's not difficult to remember you're doing numbers 90 to 99 you know what i mean but yeah. if it's like obscure thing and it's like well you're there and you're there or there's like sometimes you know all of your lot will be eating. So I'll go and do mine and you'll come and help me. And then I'll come and do some of yours later. Just done. We've all got a box of play, a pack of playing cards. A deck. I used to draw the table plan on the back of the pack. And then I'd, I'd just write down the table numbers I've been to. And if they didn't have table numbers, I'd just write down like where they were. Because if you write down the, the people, people move around. So it's like you quite often you do a table, you go to another table and the dude sees the three tricks you got. So you have to make your excuse to go and do someone else. Um, but yeah, it's always, always handy, yeah. I was business cards as well. Here's a little tip that people, you know, I think people, well, I used to find they're very um, um, apprehensive about giving out business cards. Well, I'll only give them out if people ask. And my argument to that is, well, magic's amazing, right? So imagine you've done something for someone and they're, let's say they're 42 years old, right? They'll be, they're not going to think in eight years time, I'll be 50 and I want to book this magician because that's amazing. That's not how, you know, brains work. But if you do a trick for them and they love it and they've got your card and they take it, they might remember it and then they might, you know, or they follow you on Instagram or Twitter. Nowadays, like when I was doing this, the social media wasn't a thing like when I first started doing this. So now that's amazing. So like you've got all your social media details on there. Um, and I was used to do a gag. So at the t end of the, if I, I'd give cards to everyone. So when I finished um, close up, if I was doing the, let's say, well, because I'd normally do like, the drinks reception first, then go like round the tables afterwards. So I'd have like two different sets of stuff. And the way I used to do it was by the time. So for the first half hour, I'd do three or four tricks and the next half hour, I'd do another three. So that way I'd always know what I'd shown people because I knew what time it was. So sometimes people can't remember what they've done for people or 
to guess or whatever. That's how I did it. Um, but what I do, you don't know if you're going to see those people at the tables later. So I do my whole bit. And then at the end, okay, guys, if you enjoyed that, thanks so much. Um, have a card. If you say one, if you didn't enjoy it, take one anyway and give it to someone that you don't like. And then we all win. Everyone's happy. Um, <laughs> about it. It's good. Um, and then, so I give them a card and then I go to the table later um, and I do the same thing. I just count out 10 cards. And so if there's 10 on the table, I'd have in my pocket 10. I'd count them out in advance. So I'd say, guys, it's been a pleasure. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. Whatever gags I'm saying at the time. So I'd have a card. Um, please take one because you never know. Uh, and if you didn't like it, uh, you're wrong. But take one anyway and give it to someone that you don't like. And then I know some of you already got them already, but I've heard you ain't got many friends. So, you know, give them away. And then what you do is you give them to one person and, and just say to them, can you hand them out for me? Or just can you pass them around? And then that they then pass them around the table. Yes, a lot of people will not take them. They'll leave them on the table later. That's fine. Don't be too proud. Go and pick them up. Don't, don't leave them there and then go and buy more. People will take them, right? Yeah. By and large, because if you think about this, right, if you do close up and there's, I don't know, 100 people you see there, the odds of you getting a gig out of that, giving 100 people a card, are pretty high. So if you can generate one gig from every gig you do, you never need to worry about work again because you're always working. Um, yeah. So that, that was always my thinking. And it's like a number of times I go and do gigs with people and a number of times I get booked because I just happen to be placed well on Google because way back when I used to pay a lot for Google AdWords. And they said, oh, we saw this magician at this thing, but you know, I can't remember who he was, but we Googled you and you saw your show reel and that was amazing. I thought, great, brilliant. Um, but I want people to remember me. So I, um, I want them to have it. And here's a story. I was doing a thing once and uh, a guy's come and he's in like a dinner suit, like a you know black tie thing. And he says, are you a magician? I said, yeah, I'm here. And I was always a guest, right? And he goes, oh, do you know what? And this is before I did Bridge or Town or anything. And he goes, um, I think I remember you. I said, do you know what? I think the last time I wore this suit, you gave me your business card. And what I used to do, I used to change my card every year. So I could tell when I'd met someone by looking at the card. And also when you meet people as well, if you give them a card, make a note. And just what I always do is I'd, I'd look at them and say like, just a feature about them that I remember. Because people will phone you up all the time and go, hi, Jamie, it's Dave. We met at such and such. You might have met 10 Daves that day. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. But when you meet them in person, you remember. Um, anyway, he opens his like, top pocket and he pulls out my card. And I could tell it was the card I had from like five years ago. And I said, you know what? I don't know what I'm more impressed with. I said, the fact that you've kept that card all this time or the fact you haven't had that suit dry cleaned in five years because the card was still intact. He was like, no, no, I put on some weight and then I lost the weight again. I was like, okay, buddy. You're looking good for it. <laughs> it's so good to hear to hear this advice, man, because, I mean, this is what magicians talk about, you know, professional magicians talk about this stuff all the time when we chat to, you know, our friends and stuff. But, I mean, it, it's so much show business, and I think so many magicians starting off are like, okay, I need 10 different you know, ambitious card type moves or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, man. And, well, so much of it is, is the business side of it. I mean, especially if you want to be professional. That's what you said. Yeah, it's show business. And it's the business is it's show in small letters, business in big letters, because it doesn't matter how good you are. If no one knows who you are, you never can do anything. You never can do any work. So it's like you've got um, people need to know who you are. So you need to work out how, number one, how to get gigs in the first place, which is basically show people stuff that makes them go, I have to have that. So basically, what do people want to see? They want to see reactions to people. You don't need to have all your tricks on. It's great if you've got a couple on there. But I have never put any whole routines on until Britain's Got Talent, obviously, like the audition. Stuff. I can't control that because that's someone else to put that on there. But if it was down to me, I wouldn't have any entire routines anywhere. I never do because they're, they're not important. What's important is people see how people are reacting and then they go, right, I want that. And then the only way they can get it is by getting you there to do it, to replicate it. So yeah, that's why, you know, show reels are so important and 
Definitely. Um, and that's why, like, like residencies and stuff. Like, I remember I was helping chatting to a guy and he was saying about getting residencies and stuff. Like, way back when, I did, used to do a few. And um, I was lucky because I had a friend who's like, owned a restaurant and I did some stuff there. And then I, I met a few other people and they sort of put me up. But he was saying to me, well, how do I go about getting a residency? And I was like, mate, I don't know because I've never, you know, had to go and get one. But if I was going to go and get one, this, these are my thoughts, right? What I'd do is I'd find somewhere that's busy, somewhere that can actually afford it. Like, so even if it's like, because obviously for a residency, you're going to get paid a lot less than you would a normal gig. But it gives you a chance to go and work on new stuff and you get to meet people and you get to get out your cards all the time. And, you know, especially if you're in an area, you just get known in that area. And it's, it's a long game. Like people might, yeah. you know, you might do, you might do stuff for a family, like a, two daughters and then five years later, one's getting married and then you go and do their wedding sort of thing. That's, that's the sort of vibe I was going for. But what I would do is I'd call up the restaurant or I'd go there with some, I might book a table and I'd go there with my friends and I just do some tricks for them and I get them to react like over the top crazy but then what you do is you get sorry you're you're on one table with your friends and then another group of your friends or another table you go over to the second group you do some tricks and you get one of them to go to the the manager and then go oh that magician was amazing i was like is he in here often and they're like what magician and then that's it then at the end you leave and you go guys i'm really sorry i hope you don't mind i was um my name's jamie i'm a magician there was um i knew one of the guys there and he asked me if i could do um so I'm drinking. I hope you don't mind me, mind me doing that. But obviously, he's heard them losing their shit. So obviously, he's interested. <laughs> and then you say, um, I um, I don't know if you're interested, but on um, there are certain, like, I don't know what days are, are no good for restaurants. So let's say a Thursday or a Wednesday or something. Fridays and Saturdays, I'm sure they're heaving. But maybe on days where you're less busy or when the customers have time to wait, I could um, come and show you what I do. For one day, I'll do it for free. I'll come in and I'll just, I'll entertain it. Once they've made their orders and stuff, I'll bounce around and I'll do it for free for a day like for a couple of hours and then if you like it um we can have a chat and then that that that's i, I never did that but that, that was just how i thought about you know how you could go about doing it um mm. you don't have to do the first bit where you you know get your mates to pretend and all that um <laughs> or um yeah and then what you do though if they do book you if they do um if they do have you for that freebie thing uh you get your mates to go along to that a different group and then afterwards they phone the restaurant up okay that magician was amazing can you tell me when he'll be back and that's it. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I should write and a book. And what's your name? Mrs. Raven. Mr. Raven. Oh, yeah, they, they were his parents. Okay, fine. Come on in. <laughs> so uh, we have a segment on the show that I'm going to bring up now, which is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which is basically we ask our guests to show that we're all mortals of a performance story that went maybe sour off good, went bad, even ugly. What is the yeah. first story that comes to mind for you? Okay, so for me, um, I'm quite, uh, I've, uh, I'm very, very uh, anal when it comes to practicing and when it comes to having um, outs and get out. So for every trick I ever do, I have a plan B always. And I know I'm in the vast minority. So when I do a theatre thing, if people are paying to come to the theatre to watch me do a show. If something goes wrong, there is a backup. The audience, hopefully, well, they should not know anything's gone wrong, right? Um, and I think is it is it Murphy's law? If you do anything for long enough, eventually everything that can go wrong will go yeah. wrong. So you, you need to be able to get out of trouble if you're ever in it, and that's fine. So for every trick that I ever do, I have an out. Right? However, well, I cannot control other human beings, and I remember that just for me, there's two stories I'll tell you. This one, this one did happen to me. The next one didn't happen to me. <laughs> I was doing the um, so I, I've done a billion lemon, orange, kiwi, whatever for donkey's years, and I was doing um. This particular version was um, a, a ring in a walnut in an egg in an orange, right? And there's an, I've got the orange on the table and there's a knife. And I've got the knife 
And I said to the person, because they were to the side of me, they kept moving to the wrong side. And there was a bit of jokes about that. But anyway, they were the wrong side. So I need them to pass me the knife. And I said, oh, very, very carefully, could you please hold the handle and pass me the knife? And inexplicably, they just dragged it across my fingers. Right? They just dragged this knife across my fingers. And all four of them just split open and just started bleeding. And I looked at it and I was like, wow. And there was a napkin on the table because when the orange spills everywhere... And I picked it up and I wrapped it around my hand and it's just gone, like it's gone red, like instantly. Um, and I was like, oh, well, that's that's never happened before. And that got a laugh because everyone knew I was like genuinely bleeding. Anyway, we cut open the orange, um, cracked the egg with the wrong hand, <laughs> which I can't do anyway. I nearly missed the bowl. Um, get the walnut out, just crack the walnut. I was like, there's your coin. Thanks very much. See you later. Bowl ring or whatever it was. Go. Um, and then I said, to, I, I've always, when I'm doing shows, I've got a mic on. I always have the thing so I can turn the mic off on my back. I never have it locked because I don't want to be in that position. And I said to the guys, because I was supposed to do a close-up section in the next bit. I was like, I can't do this. Um, basically, I'm going to need another towel. And I had some uh, new skin, which is like, because when I used to bend forks, I occasionally put the prongs, my thumb through the prongs, and my thumbs would bleed a lot. Um, and then they sort of, new skin is like super glue for your fingers. Um, we didn't have any new skin, but we did have super glue. So I was like, great, go and get some of that. And then we were talking. So what, what we did was, um, if anything did go wrong in the show, everything's built in blocks. So you just move from block two to block five. We may come back to it later. We might not. I could, I, there was no way I was going into the audience to do both because I didn't have my hand. Um, anyway, the next part was like a love cards thing, the ripping up the Woody Arrogant thing. So I could do that um, without doing anything. So I could just explain it to everybody while I've got this thing. And then we put the super glue on my fingers and then it dried in an interval. And then I carried on the second half with uh, super glue on my fingers. Um, so in terms of the tricks, I've always got methods for the tricks. But yeah, I was not expecting someone to drive. I mean, literally, I watched it in slow motion. Like literally, they just, I'll try and get, they sort of, yeah, I'll use my phone. It was literally like this. It was like, I, I mean, I'm, to this day, I mean, my, my hand was on the table and they just pulled it and dragged it across my hand. I was like, what are you doing? Um, I was on the at that stage. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, they paid for a ticket. Do you know what I mean? I was like, looking at it, yeah. Um, and the, 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 but my, my favourite story, favourite story ever um, is from uh, my uh, one of my closest friends in Magic. Um, and he won't mind me saying this, so I'll tell you his name. So his name's Paul Martin. And Paul is actually my next door neighbour currently, but he's actually sadly moving. Um, in a few days but um, Paul and I set up an agency years ago called a magic place and whenever I'd have to if I was ever booked I'd always recommend him and vice versa and he was the first person I ever did magic with that I really got on with because we did it in the same way like it was all about having a laugh with people and then the magic sort of just is the magic just happens you're just having a laugh with everyone and it's by the time and I said to him, we were doing some stuff on, um, sometimes you do a thing on the River Thames, like you get on a boat and a company would hire the boat and you go up and down the Thames, which I, I hate it because I don't like bouncing around on the water. I didn't like it at all. Um, but <laughs> the gag I used to do, I used to say to a woman, it's an old gag, or a guy, so can I buy you a ring? And you take the ring and you pretend to drop it over the edge. And you go, don't worry, no, that was actually a 10p coin. And then you open your hand and in your hand is a 10p coin. <laughs> so you make out like you've dropped the ring. But of course, you've got two 10 coins. The ring's gone in this hand. You drop one of the coins. It's all right, I'll fix it. And then you bring the ring back. Um, when I was doing it on stage, I'd say to someone, oh, I've got your ring. I'd say, oh, it's brilliant. I'd, I'd fuck around and say, don't worry about it. I promise you it's completely safe. And then I'd accidentally throw it. And you hear it go ding, 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 ding across the floor. I'd say, don't worry. That was a 20p coin. And I'd open my hand and there'd be a 20p coin. And then I'd do the thing again. I said to Paul, right, you've got to do, you've got to do this joke. It's hilarious. He goes, no problem. So he goes to this lady. He's in this like old stately home. And he says, oh, have you got a ring? And she goes, yeah. And he takes the ring and he goes to throw it across the room, right? And he throws it 
bang, straight through this 18th century oil painting, right? Gone straight into the canvas, right? Just slit it straight down the middle. He's like, oh, wow. This is not the worst thing that happened at this gig, right? So he's there and he's like, oh, wow. Um, he says, don't worry, uh, that was only an illusion. Your ring's really here. And then he ran away. It's one of these things where there's like a thousand people. So you can sort of disappear into the toilets for an hour. Anyway, I know you were saying about a card on the ceiling. This is his one, right? So he's got, he's doing card on ceiling, but the ceiling is high, like super high. So he's like, right, I'll give it a go. One, two, three. And he's throwing the cards up and it's spun. It's hit the ceiling. Amazing. The card's stuck. And then, then it's like hit a beam. And rather than coming straight down, it's sort of gone off at like this angle. And it's now flying about 100 metres in the other direction. There's this elderly gentleman just standing there. And this card just goes smack breaks his glasses in half, the glasses fall off and his nose just starts bleeding and he's just standing there and Paul's like, oh, I won't say what he said. And he just gets down and he like tries to escape because he's already broken the painting and now he's taking this guy's face off. Anyway, we're there and I'm like, oh, we've got to go. So we move around and we, we literally get to the door and he's like turning on. Oh, and as we turn out the door, the guy's wife is standing there and he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was just coming to find you. Not at all. We were running, mate. We were running fast. But, um, yeah, so the knife one happened to me. Uh, the coin and the uh, the card on ceiling. That was uh, Paul Martin, if you want to check him out. Your magical host. Oh, by the way, we've done a great uh, a great bank night routine we've released called Yours, Mine of the Mystery. I thought I'd drop that in there. I'm not quite sure where you can buy it anymore. Um, but, yeah, Paul says it on his Facebook. It's brilliant. So um, a bank night thing that I did... Um, uh, I always do it every show, um, and it's like if anyone's interested. I'm not trying to sell it now. I'll just tell you why I like it. Um, it's it's three envelopes, and the gag is there's one says mine in big letters, one says yours in small letters, and there's a question mark. And the gag is mine is bigger than yours, so you can play it however you want with whoever you want. Um, but the beauty of it is that with a lot of bank nights, it's usually say there's six envelopes. You can choose five. They're all empty. I keep one, and I've won the money. Hilarious. You know the magician always wins. And I was saying to you earlier about that card thing. I always like the audience to win. So, well, I like them to think they've won for a bit. Um, so I would say, oh, we're going to play for £5 or $5, whatever country you're in. I say, you will win. And when you win, everyone in this room is going to give you a huge round of applause and whatever noise they make, you know, all that, that's sort of acceptable, I guess. Um, which one do you want? And they'll say, I want mine. Do you want to change mine? No, you don't. No problem. You open the envelope, mine, and you show it. There's just £5 inside it. The rest of the envelope is, is empty, apparently. Um, but it looks empty. You say, but... If you'd have chosen the other one, uh, in this one, there was £50. You could have won 50 because uh, they can keep whatever's in the envelope they don't choose. And in this last one is um, $1,000 or a cheque for 25 grand signed by the boss, whoever it was. But it's progressive revelations that get more and more impressive. Um, but also, they do win. So they do win the fiver. I'll use that as a callback later. Go, for my next trick, I need to borrow a £5 note. You're going to get the money back anyway. <laughs> if you want to give it to them, you can. Um yeah. but there's um there yeah, it's I, I loved it and it killed seven minutes and it's like uh, that was the thing that me and paul first started working on when we saw because i get asked a lot about how do you move from just doing close-ups to doing stage stuff or like you know stand-up stuff yeah. and the easiest way to do it is to do for me i found was that you do let's say you do a close-up gig and you charge i don't know i'll make it out like 500 quid whatever you're going to charge um and then you say like, i'll go right, around the drinks and i'll go to the tables during the courses and then if you want um at the end of the meal that before the coffees or during the coffees for like 10 minutes i could do a bit that everybody watches together and for that i charge another 250 quid or whatever you charge that way you get paid another 50 percent, and then you can work on stuff and that routine is like seven minutes and literally it's three envelopes in your pocket you don't get anything all you've got to remember is what ended them they're double ended envelopes so you open one side they've all got five in one side they've all got other prizes in the other you just got to remember 
which I, which has what in it, which envelope. Yeah. The ball has a big red cross. I mean, it's massive on on the side, not to open. It's yeah. like cause the, so because he's like the number of times he does it, and then closes, spins it around, opens the other side. He doesn't. I'm winding him up. He never does that. But um, yeah, it's a great routine. It was um, if anyone is looking to uh, move into uh, stand up performing as well, that was the way that we we well I started doing it. Um, because then you can you can work on like you know five minutes ten minutes whatever and it's like I think stand ups are the same as close up it's like I think you should master five or six tricks master yeah. them before you learn any more rather than learning ten that are average like just and same with with stand up it's like learn three or four things and also just find what works because the, the hardest part of magic is is learning stuff and then you realise it's not for you do you know what I mean it's like the, we've all done it we've all we've all worked on stuff that we've seen other people do or taken inspiration from you tried it and it just doesn't work. And then there's other stuff that does work for you. And there's, there's no rhyme nor reason to it. It's just the way we are. There's certain jokes you'll tell in a certain way that will get a laugh. Someone else will say exactly the same words and it won't. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just, yeah. Um, I remember that. Tip from, the, from the book I've not written yet. I know story just just, just um, Dave was doing a show in, in Cork from, and he was like, do you want to just do a spot in the show? I was like, yeah, yeah, why not? So he's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I'll figure out something on the way down. Don't worry about it. So he got down and he was like, yeah, do, do your card step. It always gets a good reaction, you know, Malini style. So I was like, yeah, yeah, cool, perfect. So I, he had, I had a pen knife. We opened it out and I was like, yeah, that'll work. I did a quick run through before everyone came in. And we were on stage. I pushed it down so hard that the pen knife snapped shut in my hand. So for yeah. a split second, I didn't want to open my hand because I was like, I'm pretty sure it's after taking off my thumb. So I looked yeah. at the guy. I look at the guy, the guy looks at me, I look at the audience, and I kind of look at my hand, and I can see like a little bit of blood, but not, not gushing or anything. And I just came up, and I just went like this, just really quickly, and I was just like, I'm good, I'm yeah. good, I'm good. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. But, but you know what? That, that, but that's, that, and that, 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 if you want to play on that, that's given you now some material, like, forever. So basically, yeah. you, you can write that into the show, because that happens sometimes. So like, basically, if you had like a thumb tip or something, you could load that in your hand and snap it and then just drop it. And then the thumb goes on the floor and you go, that's never happened before. And like, <laughs> it's an actual thumb tip. And then the beauty of it is you can just put the thumb back on your thumb tip and go, oh, that's good. And then, then you've got an actually like amazing effect. Like you genuinely yeah. look like you have severed your own thumb off. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's amazing how these things happen. Because I'll tell you a similar story. So I always used to use, when I was doing um, a mind reading bit for like a confabulation thing, I'd always use um, a Labco pad. So Soren at Labco. Um, if you don't know who they are, what they do, they're amazing. I don't use any electronics anymore because I, 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 I sort of always felt nervous about using them. Just in, they don't, they don't fail, but I just think they will. And I also think there's other methods you can use. So what I would do is I'd have this, um, this Labco pad, and you write on it, and it, it transmits to my phone, right? And it tells me what they've written on the pad. Right? It's amazing. What I didn't realise was in certain situations, certain gigs, certain bigger functions. The, the radio mics or the sound system will steal all of the signal. So you can't, like in the dressing room, it worked, but on the stage, it didn't work, right? So I always had an out and my out was always, I'd have a brown envelope and inside the envelope was a thumb tip and there was another piece of envelope folded up. So if someone felt inside, if I stole the thumb out, they'd feel what they thought was their drawing or their picture. So this thing hasn't worked, right? So I said, no problem, take off the piece of paper and I want you to fold it up. Um, and I've got an envelope here. We're going to put the piece of paper in the envelope. And I put it in, but I put it in the thumb tip. Now I'd steal it out the thumb tip. And I'd say, you can feel that in there. And what they can actually feel is another bit of brown envelope. Because later I'm going to rip up the envelope and throw it on the floor. They're not going to, they're going to notice this one extra piece. And I'd say to them, well, can you lick the envelope and seal it shut? And they lick it. And then I'll do the gag. You know, it normally takes 15 minutes for LSD to kick in. Be hilarious. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I take some, I go to my case and get some tape out. But while I'm getting the tape, I flick off the thumb tip with their writing in it. 
then I, I seal the, the note with the tape because I don't want them to open it. Because if they do open it again, they'll see their things not in there. Um, and then I'd say to them, I'm going to come back to you at the end of the show. Don't lose that um, or you get smacked or whatever I'm going to say. They disappear. Throughout the rest of the show, you do what you're going to do. You unfold the bit when you're doing another trick. You unfold the bit. You read what they've written down. You fold up, put it back in the thumb tip, right? Then when they come back on stage, you do your reveal. This is what I think you've gone for. Can I have a look? And when you put your pen away, you get your thumb tip back on. You rip open the envelope. You then put the thumb back in, pull the bit of paper out, put the thumb back on, rip it up, throw it away. So you, you end clean. Um, and that's what I did as an out. And then the next day I thought, why am I bothering with the pad? Why am I bothering with the ele electronics? Do you know what I mean? So yeah. from then on, I just did that. And that, that was the day that I decided I didn't really need, or well, I don't like it. I don't, there are some incredible props, like incredible props. And like there was um, Craig Filicetti does a great um, uh, thing, uh, dice. It's amazing. You know, the, the way you can tell the number that's on the dice, which is brilliant. And I've used that. That's never failed, but it will one day, the battery in it will go. And it, you know, and I'm just waiting for the day that happens. But um I used to do a colour match on on stage. So for people who don't know what that is, you've got a drawing and there's it's pens in a pot and you've got five or six people and you're blindfolded and they choose a colour and then you get them to colour in the picture and it matches your prediction, whatever that may be. And there's a very clever method you can use with them, um, you know, electronics in the pens and chips and whatever. Um, and that's the way I was going to do it. And then um, I was going to do it with um, Henry when we did the Magic Circle. We realised that I could actually stand on the stage um, but he could actually poke me with a chopstick and no one would see. So we basically made black art chopsticks. So basically, because the curtain was black, we got some chopsticks, tied them all, stuck them all together, coloured them in black. And then when someone picked up the red pen, he just stabbed me once with a chopstick because he can see the pen. And I go, one. And then I'd know. But the beauty of it, I'm like in the middle of the stage and he's stabbing me with this black art chopstick. And that made me really laugh, doing that at the Magic Circle. And then we realised we didn't even need a chopstick because I was so close to the wings. He just told me. So he'd just go, red, blue, green. And I could just hear him. And they, they were so far away, they couldn't hear me. And we were using – and I was also using a blindfold I could see through. Just in – you know, I, I like it out, right? Um, but, yeah, so that was um, – yeah, I just – I'm I, I really, really do appreciate, like, how clever, you know, electronics are and whatnot, and especially when they're hidden in things. So, like, for example, with the mind bus pad or whatever. But I remember I was doing a show in Norway, and when I got to the reception – this is about 10 years ago. No, maybe not. Maybe 10 years ago, actually. Um, I got to reception, and they said, oh, can you just sign your name on this form? And they turned the screen around, and it was a Bluetooth pen. And that was, like, 10 years ago. So it's, it's, it's only a matter of time before everyone's aware of it. So I just like, oh, John. We're all, going back to, we're all going back to pencils and billet switches, mate. Definitely. Yeah, man. It, it's the it, it, it looks so much fair and it's raw and it's organic and it looks natural and there's no suspicion. I saw uh, he, he doesn't perform magic anymore, but this is probably why. Um, but the MC had the same the same uh, iPad, so he yeah. had it all loaded up to get the. So the idea was the iPad would be down. He'd look down. He'd see the five drawings in a cycle that he'd know what was what. The MC walked off and uh, introduced the act. The act came on. Picked up the wrong iPad. MC walked off with the wrong iPad. Looked down and all he could see was Q notes for the MC. Yeah, you know. Have you seen the guys who were using the prediction chest in Portugal or somewhere? So they've got this chest hanging from the thing. Who's, who does this podcast go out to? Is it just magicians? Yeah, magicians. Just magicians, yeah. No lay people? No. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. Well, the... Well, I was just gonna, I'll say, so basically, if anyone knows how a prediction chest works, you've got this box hanging from the ceiling and inside is a prediction of how the show's going to go. And when you load it down, you know, you bring it down, you put it on the table, you open it up, you get it out and you reveal the show. And anyway, the guys have gone to do it 
and they've opened the thing and they haven't put the thing in the table. So basically they've opened this box and there's nothing in it. Like there's nothing in it. So then they've, then they've lifted the box up and the table's gone away and someone from the audience got, oh, you can use my table. And the guy's gone, no, 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 no. And they hang it up again. And then later the guy comes back out with the thing and puts it on. And I was just like, oh, mate. It's, um, yeah, it's, um, I remember when, when the first um, Mindbuster pads came out, it, was, it wasn't uh, like Bluetooth. It was like designated signal from the, the device to the receiver. Um, and mine broke one day and then Soren told me how you could change the frequency. So if you, it, they default to, let's say, frequency number one. So if I'm doing a gig with you and we both got one on frequency one, whatever I draw, you'll see and I'll see yours and vice versa. Just everything becomes a mess. So anyway, I was doing a gig with a mate of mine. I said, I'll use you to my buster today. He goes, yeah. I was like, OK, I won't then. Um, but I'd learned how to find out what frequency other people want. So I turned on my receiver and I could see he was on signal number four. Right. So I've gone, oh, yeah, no, I won't use that. No problem at all. Anyway, he goes up to a group of people and uh, he says, oh, can you draw a picture? And I've got the receiver and I can see she's drawn a house, right? And then I've got my pad and I've just scribbled out the house and I've drawn a rude picture instead, right? I won't say what it was. Um, <laughs> and he's looking at his jacket and gone, ah, oh, right. Anyway, so he says to her, it's a very well, she keeps the piece of paper and it's a house, right? And she's got it again. And he goes, right, you um, you drew a picture. She goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, but you changed your mind, didn't you? And she goes, well, I did actually, yeah. And he goes, I think you're a naughty one, aren't you? And she goes, not really. And he goes, right, on three, you say what you've drawn. I'll say what I think you've drawn. And we'll see. And on three, one, two, three, she said house. He said something that was obscene because that's what I draw on his pad. And to this day, he doesn't know it was me. <laughs> he might watch this now. <laughs> but it was me. That's a good I uh, I I saved up so I want to get an electronic because I bought the Inception gimmick from Promystic. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so Craig's amazing. Promystic, amazing. Yeah, I got to use it once before uh, lockdown and COVID, and I probably won't be able to touch someone again for another few years. <laughs> yeah, like, well, this is, this is the other thing we've got to look at. So I, I, things will change, you know. I mean, like come come April, May, or whatever time they're saying, it, things will go back to normal again. Um, it'll just it'll take a little while. That's all. And it's like because we've got another tour coming up as well. Um, and it's just like so much of what I do, I need to get, I don't, I just like people being in close proximity. Do you know what I mean? It's just like yeah. standing there and like the whole, you know, rigmarole of, right, there's a pen in a box and I'm, I won't touch it, but you take the pen out and then, you know, there's some hand gel and you do fine. Um, but I'd rather just not do shows. I'd rather just do yeah. online stuff and then I'll wait until we can go back to having fun again. Cause it's like, I like doing close up and like doing tricks for children, like, you know, seeing their faces, like, you know, it's amazing. Like, if you, you know, if you're a kid going to a magic show and you're like made the star, that, that's what I always wanted. Do you know what I mean? But as a kid, that's what I'd love. So I'm not saying anyone wants that, but they, they're going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. We've gone for an hour and 15 minutes now. So to start wrapping up. And do you have anything you want to promote or you're doing virtual shows and stuff with anybody? Oh, yeah. So, so the, the virtual thing we've done, um, they're mainly just like uh, corporate things that we're doing at the minute, but there's um, got another tour coming out next year so it's me and there's it's called illusion impossible and it's we're meant to start now i think in september it's been rescheduled a few times but i think we've got about 40 odd dates booked in in um the uk i think dublin we're going to come we're coming to in september i think and then there's plans to take it across europe um so yeah dublin if memory serves i think it's the 17th of september and the reason i know that is that i got asked to do a show on the 18th of september and we've got a show for this tour, 16th, 17th, and 19th. We haven't got one for the 18th. So in between the three touring shows, I'm going to go to Grimsby or somewhere and do a corporate. Um, no rest of the weekend. Um, but it's, um, yes, yeah, so it's myself um, and four other incredible acts. Um, and it's sort of like, it's the like sort of like the illusionist. So it's like everyone specializes in different 
genre. Um, and the way I'm selling it is some of the greatest magicians on the planet and Jamie Raven. So, yeah, come on. <laughs> Definitely. Highly recommend that. And if anybody wants to find us, they can go on to deceivedreality.com. And we got some new products up there now as well. We got a, a few of the Shadow Wallets by D. Christopher in the 1914. They're selling. Oh, if, sorry, if I may, if I may just say there um, with the um, bank night thing, if you are interested, anyone, I, I, I don't know if we've actually got any at the minute because I know we're getting some more printed. But Paul deals with that, so it's um, if you look him up on Facebook, it's Paul Martin Magic or on his website, Paul Martin. It's called Yours, Mine, and the Mystery. And then anyone who's interested at all, it's Illusion Impossible. I think it's dot com, might be dot co uk, but just Google it. Definitely, <laughs> highly recommend that as well. So thanks Brilliant. everyone. Thanks. We'll be back again next week. Thank you, Jamie, 